The peace of Christ be with you. Give yourselves a couple of deep breaths to be settled into the presence of the Spirit and held by this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship the living God. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. In the rising of the sun, in the first glimpse of another, let us see the face of God. As we stand before the mirror and see ourselves, let us see the face of God. As we encounter those we would otherwise rather avoid, let us see the face of God. You may be seated. 
Welcome to Westminster. It's good to be here with you this morning. If you're visiting, I'm guessing we have a lot of visitors on this holiday weekend. A special welcome to all of you. After worship, I invite you into our Finley Hall for snacks and coffee and tea, and especially a chance to get to know each other just a little better. Let's join together now in our community prayer. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Gracious God, we confess that we do not always act as if we recognize you. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, though we may wander, know that God searches us out. Speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, God said, As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. Know that God reaches out to us, longing to bring us ever closer. So hear the good news. You are forgiven You are free. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now I'd like to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us this morning to come join me here at the steps. Good morning. Good to be with you all this morning. I have a little game I want to do today. I don't know if it's really a game. Maybe it's an experiment. We'll see. So I have all these popsicle sticks. I have one for each one of you, okay? And some of you might get a popsicle stick that has a star on the bottom, okay? Some of you might. But I want to see if we can keep it a surprise as to who has the star, okay? So I'm going to hand it to you, but sort of put your hand around it. You can check to see if there's a star on the bottom, but try not to let anyone else see, okay, till our big moment of reveal, all right? Think we can do this? All right, so I'm going to sort of on the sly hand everyone a stick. You can sort of check yourself to see if you get a star. But remember, see, see, if, you can, see if you can not have anyone else look. And then we're going to have a big moment of reveal to see who has the stars, all right? Got to make sure everyone gets one. Put your hand around the bottom if you can, so you can hide it. Let's see. All right. I got to make sure everyone gets one here. Let's see. Liam, did you get one? Here you go. Rob, you need one. Did everyone get one? Yeah. Everyone got Okay. So have you checked 
kind of on the slide to see if you have a star. All right, so on the count of three, if you have a star, I want you to put your hands in the air and say, I have a star, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. have two stars. You're right. One on each side. All right. So, well, okay. Okay. Now I'm being accused of playing a trick on you. I really wasn't. I promise I wasn't playing a trick, but I wanted to remind you that each of you is special, right? You each got a special star stick because each one of you is special. Each one of you is loved by God. And I wanted to remind you of that by making sure each one of you got the special stick with the star. Hold on one sec. But you know what? That also makes me think if each one of you is special and loved by God, that means that each one of them is special and loved by God. Each one of everyone is special and loved by God, right? But, hold on, but that also means that God then calls us to love everyone like God loves everyone, right? We are, hold on one sec. We are called, we are called to love each and every person because they are special and loved by God. Now, sometimes that's easy, right? Sometimes there are people in our lives that are so easy to love because they're wonderful and they love us and it's great. Sometimes there are people in our lives who are not so easy to love, right? Maybe they're not very nice to us. Maybe we don't even really know them. So how can we love them if we don't know them? But even those people, we have to remember, God loves and thinks is special. They would get a stick with a star on it, even if they're hard to love. And then sometimes we're called to love through our actions, right? So like if someone is hungry or thirsty, God asks us to help feed them or give them something to drink. If someone is sick, God asks us to help care for them. If someone is in prison, God asks us to care for them, all right? People we don't know, people who might be difficult to love, God asks us to keep on loving because each one of us is special. Each one of us gets these sticks with a star, okay? So I want you to think about this, that this week, okay? How do I love not only the people who are easy to love, but maybe those who are sometimes difficult to love too, all right? I know you both have questions. I'm going to get them. And just, oh my gosh, so many questions. Okay, if you do, hang out for just a second. But I want everyone else to be able to go to Sunday school. You're going to follow Jen, who's right there down the center aisle off to Sunday school, all right? Go now in peace. All right, what do you got? Lots of questions I had to answer there. All right. But now it's time for our prayer time. Time for our joys and concerns to share with each other uh, what is on our hearts and minds so we can be in prayer with and for each other. 
Um, I have just one to share. Mary Coons, who has been a longtime member here at Westminster, her husband died this past week after a brief illness. So prayers for Mary. Her husband's actually a member at First Pres San Rafael, and so the service will be there in a couple of weeks. And in addition, Mary had been recuperating from a broken hip she suffered after a fall. So we pray for her healing in many ways, Mary Coons. Who else has a joy or a concern to share? Don't all speak at once. Florence, yes. Amen. Just giving thanks for thanks for the feelings of gratitude, the experiences of gratitude. Thank you. Others? Peter. son had a had a hip replacement Tuesday morning by that evening he was walking stairs amen other joys or concerns to share Liz absolutely prayers for Egypt especially the attack that occurred at the mosque Prayers of thanksgiving for support, both financial and otherwise, says Hale. Anyone? All right. Let's take a few moments. Oh, yeah. You're giving thanks for that. I like it. <laughs> Good attitude. <laughs> so she's giving thanks for um, the Nutcracker. Her granddaughter is going to be in the Nutcracker this year um, and all the rehearsals and practice that comes with it. Yeah. All right. Let's take a few moments of quiet. Oh. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for the rain. Yeah. So let us pray together. Gracious God, you hear our prayers, both those spoken aloud, those held in the silence of our hearts, and for that we give you thanks. And these and all our prayers are offered in the name of the one who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.
The first scripture reading today is the 100th Psalm. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter God's gates with thanksgiving and God's courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless her name. For the Lord is good. Her steadfast love endures forever and is faithfulness to all generations. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. You know you're in a Presbyterian church when you have to invite your parents to get somebody to sit in the front row. No, I, I point them out um, not to embarrass them, but just to direct you where to bring your criticism if you don't like the sermon today. <laughs> the second reading is from Matthew's Gospel, the 25th chapter, verses 31 to 46. Listen for what the Spirit is continuing to say to the church this morning. When the Son of Humanity comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. Then the King will say to those at His right hand, Come, you that are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you, a stranger, and welcomed you, or naked, and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick, or in prison, and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry? or thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you. And he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Friends, this too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Charles Mully was a street kid in Kenya. 
left to fend for himself beginning at the age of six. Six. About the age of many of those children who gathered on these steps with all their questions a few moments ago. And Molly was alone on the street for ten years, fending for himself among many of the other abandoned children in that country. Well, one day he found himself in a church service where he heard the pastor say, with, all, with, with God, all things are possible. And out of his desperation and some ounce of trust in that moment, he went and found a house that looked like it belonged to a family of means and pounded on the door. Like that, I guess. <laughs> Where were you during stewardship? (laughs) The woman who opened the door was an Indian woman. And it just so happened that she, her family owned a large farm. And so this immigrant family welcomed in this native abandoned son. Now that'll preach in and of itself. She saw something in his face and she took him in and they gave him work. First around the house, cleaning and doing other chores and able to eat what was left over from the meals, which was a grand step up for him. And then out in the fields, in the farm. And he was such a good worker that within six months, Mully was promoted to a manager position. Things went quite well for him. He fell in love with another woman in the fields and they married and they had a family together. And Mully even launched businesses of his own out of his experience, first a taxi and transport company, but then many other business ventures that followed. And before long, Mully was a millionaire several times over. It's one of these stories you just have to see to believe, which you can, for he's featured in the, in the documentary Mully, recently uh, released this past year. And it was all possible because this immigrant woman saw something in the face of a stranger who knocked at her door and she let him in. Today, Jesus offers us this challenging teaching. He tells a parable or a story of sorts. He says, when the son of humanity comes in glory, all the people will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. Like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And the separating occurs based on who fed and clothed and housed and visited and cared for those who were in need and those who did not. And each side has the same reaction. Lord, when was it that we did these things for you? Or when was it that we did not do these things for you? And the response comes just as you did it to one of the least of these. And you know the end. You did it to me. Those who did are rewarded, and those who did not are punished. Now, interestingly, that story, at least in our culture, is often deemed harsh. And God, or Jesus, vengeful. But of course, how one experiences that story is dramatically affected by 
the perspective one has or the place one occupies in the story. Because if you are the one who is hungry and saw those who had many things to eat and didn't have any of that food shared with them, or if you were somebody who was thirsty and wasn't given a drink by those who had access to clean water, or you were somebody who needed clothing or shelter or medical care and denied all these things by those who could have shared it with you, if you were someone who was unjustly prisoned, imprisoned, and that's, the, that's the, uh, what the story is implying, and nobody came to see you, much less get you out of prison, Well, Jesus' words wouldn't have sounded so much uh, like vengeance as they would have sounded like justice. Long overdue justice. And justice on one level is about accountability for your actions or inactions. And accountability at its core is about love. First and foremost, accountability is about love for the victim, love for the one who is suffering. Because at the very least, Jesus' words here, these strong words, signal to those who've suffered at the hands of others that he was with them and that God was with them. And wouldn't we want those who have harmed us or who have harmed our loved ones to be held accountable for their actions? Not not punished aimlessly, but held accountable for what they have done. We can't escape these days in the news all the revelations of sexual harassment and sexual violence perpetrated on others. Don't we want those people held accountable? If, If to provide comfort for some of the victims but also to prevent more victims from being created? Don't we want that? And shouldn't society be held accountable on one level for creating or allowing for the kinds of conditions that support such behavior? Because what accountability does is it it moves us beyond simple sympathy into the space of meaningful change for individuals and for societies. Secondly, accountability is actually also an expression of love for the wrongdoer, for the perpetrator. Oh yes, week after week we tell these young ones when they gather up here that God loves you just like you are. And we believe that, and I believe that. And yet does not God also love us in the better versions of ourselves? That's how we love our children, right? One of the ways our love manifests for our children is by holding them accountable for what they do. We don't say to them, just stay like you are. You don't have to do anything differently. No. Because we want them to grow up into more mature people, into into more evolved people, into adults, into better versions of themselves, we hold them accountable for their actions. It's an expression, if it's rightly done, of our love. I don't know how many of you participated in sports growing up or, or in music or drama or any kind of group activity. The worst thing was never when you got scolded or criticized by your coach or director or teacher. It wasn't, the worst thing wasn't even when you were yelled at. It wasn't pleasant. 
I'm assuming Spencer knows something about this. What's the worst thing? The worst thing is when the coach ignores you, when they stop critiquing you or stop scolding you because what it signals to you is they've given up. And consciously or subconsciously, they've recognized that the potential is somewhere else, in someone else. And that's the worst feeling. And Jesus so trusts the people and so loves the people that he wants them to know that he sees in them potential right before his eyes and he wants them to see in everybody they encounter that same potential. To identify with the others so strongly that they see the very face of God in them. You did it to least of these, you did it to me. He wants them to identify that strongly. And here Jesus is reflecting something that you see across so many religious traditions. Identifying the sacred in the other. So in response to this ongoing and and continually escalating violence in Burma, in Myanmar, this ethnic cleansing, the Dalai Lama has said to his Buddhist followers who've been perpetrating the violence, when you are tempted to do violence against one of these Muslims, I want you to see in their face the face of the Buddha. Because when you do violence to them, you are doing violence to him. And in Islam itself, in the Holy Quran, there's this beautiful line that says, whichever way you turn, there is the face of God. Whichever way you turn, there is the face of God. Whichever way you turn. Echoing this sentiment of Jesus, in the other, recognize the face of Christ. Now, we are often quick to rush to judge these religions for where they have failed. And they have failed. And Christianity right up there among them. Finding times in which we have rationalized violence is okay in this instance. Or neglecting the well-being of the other in that situation is not our problem, is theirs. Or finding all measures all measure of ways of effectively locating the image of God as only being in your people, however you define the your in your people. But these traditions and ours among them call us back to account, hold us accountable, saying, no, the image of God, trace it from Genesis on, is indelibly printed on the face of the other. And this is why Jesus asks these basic things. He doesn't actually ask for that much. Someone's hungry, a little food, a drink of water if they have nothing to drink, clothing, shelter, health care. Oh, that's not the way he says it. But in the Bible, when they talk about healing, the Greek word is also nursing, giving care to those who are sick, tending to those who are in prison and getting them out if they don't belong there. Not because they worked for it, not because they deserved it, because they bear the indelible imprint of the face of God. All of them. Now, the all bears exploring because this passage isn't actually as simple 
as it seems and often as we interpret it to be. There's a phrase that's in the first half of the passage, but it's not in the second half. And it's almost never uh, in the quotes that we offer about the passage when we, when we share it in popular parlance. We say, just as you did to the least of these, you did it to me. And what's left out is that all-important clause to those who are members of my family. Because as we spoke about several weeks ago in here, the least of these or the little ones, those phrases that Jesus uses throughout the Gospels, they are not simple synonyms for the poor and the vulnerable and the weak. Now, I'm not saying the Gospel doesn't tell us to care for those folks. That's all over Scripture. But here there's actually something else going on, and I would argue something more going on, something even stronger at work. Jesus isn't addressing his own followers with this warning. So argues New Testament scholar Daniel Harrington, at least. You see, in your uh, Bibles, what it says is, all the nations will be gathered before the king, right? The word nations in Greek is ethne, and it means nations or peoples or Gentiles. And Gentiles are the non-Jews, Think not Jesus' own people. And so what's going on is Jesus is saying, those of you who are not my people, you're going to be judged one day for how you treat my people. Pretty, pretty significant standard. And Harrington says why it's important to understand this about the passage is it because it implies that Jesus' people will be held to an even higher standard. If those on the outside are going to be held to this standard of seeing the face of God in Jesus' followers, then, then those who have the benefit of Jesus' teaching, who've been blessed by Jesus' healings and exorcisms, who claim Jesus' presence even to today, they are to be held to an even higher standard than the outsider. And Harrington is basically saying those of us who have chosen in this day and age to follow Jesus Christ have signed up to be held even more accountable than those who have not. So, you can either see that as a curse and find your way out the door. Thanks to the rain, you are staying here. <laughs> and more likely to your faith. Or you can see it as a gift Paradoxically, this higher standard becomes a blessing because it becomes a doorway into a better way of being and a more beautiful way of being. You see, I didn't finish the story about Charles Mully. <laughs> After he'd made it and was a millionaire several times over, he was driving to a meeting in a difficult part of the city, a dangerous part of the city. And as he parked his Mercedes, a number of rough-looking young people, street kids, came to him and wanted him to pay them to protect his car. And Mully said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he went in, and he came out, and his car was gone. And he, know who took, he knows who took the car. But he had resources, so he got on a bus and took it back home and got into one of his many other cars and was moved to drive because he was unsettled, and he couldn't get the faces of those kids out of his mind, and so he drove and drove and drove. Four hours he drove until he pulled over and the tears just came. 
And they came and they came until it came to him what he had to do. And so he went home and at the dinner table he told his family, I will never work again for money. Now you can imagine how his family received that news. Because the family often pays for the dream of the dreamer, if we're fair. But Bully didn't stop there. He didn't just say it, he started to do it. And, and this family, this beloved family who didn't sign up for this, didn't sign up for his spiritual transformation or his new mission, this family who had gotten used to a certain standard of living, who had gotten used to a certain way of being, were swept along for the ride as Mully closed his businesses, as he sold things off, as he stopped working for money, and he started walking. And he would walk out at night into the slums of Kenya, looking for young people. And they were all over the place, sniffing glue, getting drunk, doing drugs. And among them, he would look for the youngest of them, the ones who were sleeping alone, which they were often doing at four, five, six, and seven years old, lying under scraps of metal. And he would get down on their level, and he would whisper to them. And then he would just hold out his arms, and they would come into his arms, and he'd put them on his breast, and he would walk them home to his home. I mentioned the toll on his family because when Charles Mully was out gathering the children, his wife was at home feeding them, cooking for them, washing them, clothing them. His own children paid a high price. They had to watch as their house was taken over by other children. They lost their privacy. They lost their things. One girl recounts seeing her favorite dress being worn by one of these street kids that was brought in. It was total chaos. And it got so bad that Mully's own children were sent away to boarding school. But little by little, they started to figure it out. And things started to come together a little bit and their efforts started to multiply and they grew so big that they needed to move and they moved out into the desert where they literally built a compound by hand laying the cement bricks themselves. The only problem with this compound in the desert was that it was a compound in the desert, and they had no water. For four hours a day, they would drive to get water for, for everybody there, and by this time it was dozens, if not hundreds of people living together. Imagine the strain on that system not well-planned, unsustainable, and losing money and resources by the day. And pretty soon they were close to out of food and out of water. I mean, and out of money. They didn't have water. And then one day, an answer to prayer drove in in the form of a semi-truck, unannounced, full of food. Non-perishables that could last them for weeks and months at a time out of nowhere. Well, the praying continued. This time it was for water. And in a dream, Charles Mully was given a word from God about where to dig for water, which was, of course, crazy because they were told time and again there was no water there. 
But he persisted and he sent out the older boys of the school to start digging where God had told him to dig. And they started to dig and nothing. And they dug for a day, nothing. And another day, nothing. They were so deep in the ground that the top was over their head, nothing. And then with one shovel thrust, water exploded from the belly of the earth. And they built a filtration system and a storage system, and it was enough water to supply for the entire compound, all the children and adults there. And now this was a school and and a home and a place to tend their illnesses and to give them life skills and job skills, and it was enough water for everybody and more, so much that they would carry the water out into the desert and share it with the wandering Maasai children who were looking for water. And so much that it was enough water to build a greenhouse and to grow some plants. And so much water from this well that they embarked on a tree planting process that was so successful that it actually changed the local climate. And green burst forth everywhere. And one greenhouse turned to rows of greenhouses. And one little plot of land turned to acres and acres and acres of lush land and farmland. And it produced so much produce that they could feed themselves and sell their goods on the European markets. One well. Charles Mully made peace with his adult children. So much so that every single one of them came home to work for him in the Mully Children's Family Foundation. And they all play a role in this to this day. And it was all possible because a woman saw something in his face. And because he saw something in the face of others, something that bore the resemblance of the face of God. And I don't mean the little children on the street. That's easy. We can all see the face of Christ in their suffering eyes. What distinguished him is he saw the face of Christ in the eyes of thieves, of crooks, of what some would call thugs. And he saw his own face in their face too. Just as you did it for the least of these who are members of my family, you did it for me. Amen.
may be seated. We have a lot happening in the life of our church. I invite you to take a look at the bulletin and get involved in ways that make sense for you. One announcement that's not in the bulletin, next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. So this year we have done, as we have in previous years, create an Advent devotional book. There's one reading for each day of Advent written by members of our congregation. So there are some booklets on the table in the narthex as you leave. You're welcome to grab one of those. There will also be a PDF of the devotional up on our website if you'd prefer to read the devotional that way. But I do encourage you to take some time each day during Advent to read and reflect. Uh, we also have several things happening next week after worship. We have an Advent workshop for our younger kids. Uh, Kathleen Buckstaff is leading a healing workshop on sexual violence and harassment. We have a new immigration committee that has recently formed on issues for immigrants and refugees. That is all happening right after worship at 11.15. And then later in the day next week at 3.30 is a hike at Tennessee Valley with Julie Barnes. So I said a lot happening. Feel free to get involved in ways that make sense for you. Finally, on the back, a joy from our stewardship team. Uh, we currently have raised 81% of our stewardship goal, which is wonderful. Many, many thanks to those who have participated in our stewardship campaign, and we just ask for your help in reaching 100% of our goal very soon. And then one more joy is uh, the last couple weeks we've had our Christmas fair. I know many of you shopped at our Christmas fair. This year we were able to raise over $10,000 for several nonprofits, both in the area and in the wider community. So thank you for your support in that way. So let's stand now as you are comfortable for our closing hymn. It's number 757.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.